Clinton, what's up, man? We're recording. We are here. We are here. Yeah, buddy. Um, sir, welcome. Welcome. Thank welcome you Welcome to me. my uh, humble abode. Very welcome, man. Um, first of all, thanks for your time, man. Um, I just want to talk about what you do, bro. We'll start there. We can start there. Yeah, man. Well, besides a full-time job of being a dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what that's like, brother. Yeah, man. Fuck that's, yeah. That's the family business right there. It's mm. getting the three kids through school. But uh, yeah, man, as you know, I'm a paramedic. How long have you been doing it for, man? Bro, 25 years. So I walked out qualified in South Africa in 1996, bro. 1996. 1996, yeah. Fucking hell. That was, uh, yeah, that's crazy. It's been a journey, man. It's yeah. been a journey and... Um, it's a, it's a hard run because you kind of get to a place after 25 years and you ask yourself, can you do anything else? That's where you're at now. Do you want to do anything else? Yeah. Mm. that's Well, I mean, I'd say that. Like, you kind of like, it's it's a big move, you know, at my age to move away from something that you know so well that you've that's the only thing you've ever done. Yeah, yeah. Um, besides a few other little things like rugby on the side, but like, honestly, it's, it's a tough thing. Like, I'm 45 and you're like, this is what I've always done. To make a change is hard, man. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I've done it for a long time, man. Did you leave like school and get straight into it? I did. I did, bro. It was it was just total, total fluke, total accident, bro. Like yeah, uh, yeah, man. Like, um, how 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 the fuck did that happen? Like, how did you get into it? Like, did someone say, "Hey, dude, I think you'd be good at this. Go do this course," and that course took you away? Or no, nah, man. It was. So, yeah, at school, things were, you know, our parents weren't involved much when we were at school. So they didn't really know what was happening or what we were doing at school and, you know, subjects we chose. And they never, they, mm. like, I like I like to fake my parents' signature to choose the subjects <laughs> I was going to do for you, like, uh, 11 and 12. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we had this counselling teacher. Her name is Mrs. Harris. I remember her well. Yeah. So in year 11. What did she teach? So it, the class, it was a, it was called counselling. Oh, uh, it was yeah. like, so you'd go to counselling. And it was, uh, yeah, like, I suppose it was everything from, like, dealing with growing up and I don't know. But her, 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 one of her main roles was to help you choose subjects and choose a career pathway. Like yeah. That was that was the, the gist of it. I still remember her. She was a bit of an obnoxious and fairly rude woman. But um, <laughs> So we did this aptitude test. Yeah. Tick and flick. And I was like, none of us paid attention to the thing. Like, you, they ask you all these random questions, and this is supposed to tell you what you're going to be good at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I did the test, forgot about it. We all sat and did this thing, and anyway, I forgot about it. And then she called us all in individually, and then, like, explained, this is what your results were, and this is what it suggests you'd be good at when you, when you leave school. Mm. And she said to me, well, you've got two options according to this. One... You can be a policeman or a surgeon. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. But she was straight away, straight away. She says, like, but, you know, your parents probably don't, you know, they don't have enough money and you guys are pretty poor and you won't be able to afford medical school, so forget about that. Sure. Straight up. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I said, but I don't want to be a policeman. This is like fucking South Africa though, right? Bro, this is South Africa. I did not want to be a policeman in South Africa. Oh. I was like, no way. My dad was a cop. 
Oh, and yeah. that was just a violent time, man. Like, yeah. you know, the stuff he saw and yeah. the stuff he went through. And because it was horrible, man. You know, he was a cop during apartheid. Fuck. And it was bad. Like, he actually got out because he just couldn't stand what was happening. You know, like, bad cops that were running things the wrong way were killing white cops who didn't want to be involved. Man, they, they put a limpet mine and they killed four cops. They blew them up in their car, bro. My dad was like, I don't want to be in this. Anyway, that was him. So I don't want to be a cop. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what else to think about it. Next thing, um, she calls me in and says, there's a couple of students that were at the school that have done this other course yeah. at the ambulance service. Like, would you be keen? Like, And I'm like, I had no idea. I don't Man, I was 16 years old. Fuck. What 16-year-old knows what they want to do for the rest of their life? You don't know, man. Your brain's not developed yet. I had no idea what yeah. I wanted to do. Bro, like, I think I'm 38 and I think I'm close to <laughs> You know? I don't even fucking know. Like, I think I only pursued it when I landed here, like when I was 31. 16, bro. Fucking hell. But you can't know. No yeah. one. And, and I think that's probably a problem with current society in the world in school right now because you are like my oldest right now he's 15 and the teachers are asking him to choose subjects to decide what he's going to do for the rest of his life his frontal cortex hasn't developed yet bro like he's a he's still a he's still an animal man yeah, like he hasn't yeah. developed yet so i never clue yeah and um and at the same time my parents man they've been they've been trying to get split up and divorced and they before my dad wasn't a really good husband and you know, he was it was it was a tough time, so like parents weren't really involved, and they weren't involved in what I was doing in my choice. I didn't know, so when the teacher said, "Oh, there's this course," yeah, I'm like, "Now, oh, whatever." And then we had this program in Year Eleven as well called. It was just a work experience week where she would arrange, you would choose a vocation or some sort of, you know, job, and you could go spend time there mm. and and do like work experience over a week. And a lot of my schoolmates are like, you know, I want to run a restaurant, I want to run a pub. And they just went and hang out at the pub, you yeah. know. And work like, experience. Yeah, yeah work experience <laughs> with the cans. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. So she actually said to me, listen, I can arrange for you to go to the ambulance service for two days. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I rolled up and um, I was put on an ambulance uh, in the city of Durban, for a day and then I was going to do another day at another station and um, yeah man so I was actually it was actually before I turned 16 actually it was my year so I was because I finished school when I was 17 so it was my year 10 actually because I remember I was 15 yeah but I was quite a big 15 year old so I looked older than 15 but I was 15 anyway I got in the same first job we go to in this ambulance they're like lights and sirens and I'm like fuck this is cool man this lights and sirens shit <laughs> we get there and fucking and the dude's dead He's like dead. The first, the first thing I ever saw, the patient's dead. Like <laughs> a guy had a heart attack, and we're going out to this heart attack. And I still remember. I remember to this day, bro. Like we arrived at the house, we walked yeah. down the driveway, around the back of the house, and the dude was sitting on his porch, on a porch chair, and he was dead in the chair, stone dead, bro. And I thought, wow, that's a dead body. I'm like 15. I'm like, that's a dead body. That's first like, time ever. First time ever. I'm like, okay, cool. What are we going to do next? I'd really washed that out of my brain, bro. I'm like, it's done. Let's move on, man. This guy's dead. We can't do anything. Let's go. What's Holy next? Shit. That was it, man. I was like, fuck. I was like, weird. So, you know, anyway, I ended up running around with these guys in this ambulance and, and they, were, they, weren't, they weren't qualified paramedics. They were just, you know, 
sort of the low level qualified guys and we, we did that for the day and then the second day I was at a different base and I was doing the same sort of thing and then I saw some pretty crazy things and a couple of stabbings a couple of shootings and I was like yeah this is pretty crazy and I was at the base the one day we just arrived and this this small little fast response car drove into the base and there was this girl working in the on her own she drove in this ambulance she drove into the base in this response car and I said to these dudes and ambulances, I'm like, who's that? And they go, oh, no, no, that's the paramedic. I'm like, how do you get to do that? She goes, oh, and these guys are like, no, no, you've got to go to university and you've got to study and cost a lot of money. And if you fail, you know, you've got to pay it back. And I'm oh. like, I want to do that. So I went back to school, gave my feedback to the teacher. I'm like, oh, that was a cool couple of days. And she's like, oh, what did you think? And I'm like, oh, there's this course that they did. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that course. I've got an application form for you. Wait, hold on. So that was basically your fucking work experience, right? Bro, that was my work experience. I was 15, man. <laughs> like, and stabbing you, some you shit. Know, that fucking dead person on your first day. Like, it was cool, man. Holy fuck, I man. was crazy, man. I was like, you know, so I, when I told the teacher, she's like, oh, cool. Another problem solved. I got him sorted. So she gave me the application form and said, oh, yeah, fill this form out. Fuck. So I filled the form out. Yeah. Gave back, forgot about it, bro. Forgot about it. So yeah. year 12... Bad time, man. Parents fighting and oh man, and it was bad, bro. Like, kicked the missus out and she left, and then he came back and new girlfriend in the house, and it was just a horrible year twelve time, you know. Mm. And it pretty soured my relationship with my dad right at the end. Like he was, yeah. he was horrible, man. And that's why I cut him off. It was just real bad, man. Is he, he um, is he still around? No, no, he's dead, man. He's dead. He shot himself a few years ago. He'd uh, caught up with him, bro. Yeah, it was real oh. bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But it, it got bad towards the end. The missus, I talked to her about it a lot. She's lost her mom and her dad. And, mm. you know, my mom's still alive and chatting about it the other day. But she, um, there was a, it was a, was a, was a tough time being in like year 12, you know, I'm like yeah. 17 and didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go and mom and dad in and out. And anyway, I'd filled that form in and I'd applied for that course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was my final year and I was busy writing my final exams and I got a letter from the university saying, hey, you've been accepted on the course pending a physical assessment and an interview. And yeah. I'm like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do and where I was going to go. My parents, like, my dad was moving away again. My mom was going to go somewhere else. And I was like, I was almost going to be like homeless. And I was like, Holy I'll shit. take this. Let me just take it. And I'm like, okay, cool. So um, I had a girlfriend who, oh man, she was super wealthy, like, didn't turn out to be my cup of tea because like, oh, yeah. money was all to them, like super, like multi-millionaire wealthy, right? The fuck? Yeah, horrible, bro. Like her dad managed this massive company and, but she she threw money around and anyway, she had this, they had this holiday home down the down the garden route in the Cape and they're yeah. like, oh, it was, they go there every Christmas mm. and um, she's like, oh, I bought you a bus ticket, you know, after school, you, you can come down and join us down there for like two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I've got to be back. Because the 3rd of January, I've got this physical to get into this program. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that was a fucking cool journey, actually. Like, you know, you, you meet people by chance. Yeah. Um, kind of like I met you and Joey, and you, you you cross paths with certain people. Yeah, yeah. Sitting at the bus station, and I'm waiting. The bus is late. Now, the bus trip, bro, is like, it's like a nine-hour bus trip. So a long way. And this dude pulls up next to me, and he's like, hey, where you going? I've got a George. And he goes, oh, me too. And I'm like, What's your name? He says, oh, my name's Clinton. I'm like, mine too. 
No fucking way. Swear to God, bro. <laughs> he's like in the Navy. He's going home to visit his family. Oh, and I'm like, shit. Oh. Around, well, how, like, around the same age? He was, he was probably a year and a half older than me. He'd been out of school and he yeah. was in the Navy. And uh, so we get on the bus, bro. Anyway, the bus broke down three times. It took us two days to get there. But he just, he's like, should we have a drink? I'm like, yes, have a drink. So we, what do you want? Oh, we have some rum. So we had rum and coke. We drank rum and coke all the way to George, bro. We had the greatest time ever, man. I met this dude. I wish I could find him again. Like he was, I've looked, I've searched, I've tried to find this guy, but what a journey. Anyway, I ended up getting down to George and uh, took his number. Yeah. We didn't have cell phones in those days. Wrote it down on a piece of paper. Yeah. Cool, Clinton. And he helped me out, actually, because a couple of days in, I realized this fucking woman's mental, bro. I don't want to be <laughs> anywhere near this girl. She's like fucking mad. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with this girl. Yeah. So I phoned him up. I'm like, dude. He says, I got your back. Picked me up. Went and stayed with him. Fucking, fucking hell. And you up. just met this guy at a fucking bus I stop. met him at the bus stop. It was awesome, bro. Do you know how fucked that is? If, if, can you imagine like one of your children telling you that story right now? Man, I'd be like, fucking what? (laughs) You you, you did what? Yeah. You were at a bus stop too? What the fuck? (laughs) I know. You know what I mean? Fuck. Fuck. But so I hooked up with him. We had the greatest time, bro. And then um, I've never seen the guy again, never spoken to him. Like I left, I went back to, I had to get back in time to do my physical. Mm. So that was the 3rd of January, 1994. I rolled up at the university, bro. And we had to do this physical. And um, 80 people rolled up. There's 80 of us. Yeah. 80 people man 80 people. now I played rugby at school <coughs> and I was pretty fit and a lot of athletics yeah. and you know I, I loved sport we had to do a 3k run we had to I think we had to do max push-ups in two minutes max push-ups and uh in uh, sit-ups in two minutes excuse me and then we had to do we had to do a heart test yeah just so you know to get a heart so we had to we had to climb up the ladder of the spotlights for the for the sports field, yeah, oh, fucking Jesus it's high, bro. Fucking Christ, I never a problem with it. But up there, the, the, they move like two meters from the window. It was like pretty scary. Some of the kids like dropped out <laughs> halfway. Like I can't do this. They left. And then we had to do a swim test. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to do a claustrophobia test. So they're like blackout mask. They lock you in a tiny cupboard underground, and they leave you there for like five minutes and see if you freak out and shit. Yeah. Anyway, I did the test. I said thanks. We'll let you know, man. And then. It wasn't long. It was like a couple of days later, I got a phone call at home and they said, oh, you can come to interview. And then, you know, so I went to the interview yeah. and it was a panel. It was like six six people in this panel and um, and they were like asking me, so why do you want to become a paramedic? I was like, fuck, I don't know why I'm here. I fucking don't even know what this is, man. Wait, at this stage you were 16, eh? Yeah, yeah. No, 17. I just finished school, oh, so I'm 17, 17 now. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, fucking hell. This is like early January. My birthday's at the end of January. Mm. So I pull in there and um, talking to them and they're like, why do you want to become a paramedic? And I'm like, I didn't even know, man. I was like, uh, I didn't want to say I've got nothing else to do, you know? So I did my best at the interview and mm. and then, but I still remember one thing that stuck in my mind and um, the, the medical director at the time said to me, he said, you do realise this is going to be a difficult job. You're going to see horrible things. You're going to see the worst to the worst, and you're going to get paid terribly. Is that what he said? That's what he said, bro. And he says, do you still want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I still want to do it. Bro, what did you think after your fucking work experience, man? Well, I was excited because it was this whole whole new world that was out there. That it's like, It was the ultimate voyeur's experience, bro. You like go into people's homes and there's dudes dead on the floor and you go into a pub and a guy was stabbed because he didn't pay his bill and you're like, all these things. I was like, yeah. wow, I was blown away early. I was like, I was more... I was very interested. 
Mm. And I was like quite excited about how, like what else I could see. Oh. And um, so, I, I, but I didn't know a lot about it. So yeah. that was like, anyway, they stamped it and they said, look, you know, we'd like to offer you the spot. So 80 people, bro, rolled up for that first day. And I'll jump three years down my university degree. At the end of three years, yeah, eight of us qualified. Holy shit. Eight of us, bro. Eight. Ten percent pass rate, bro. What happened to the rest of them? Still and trying. The first, uh, obviously, they culled a heap on the fitness day, mm. and then the first year there was, I think there was like thirty of us in first year. Half of them, half failed first year. We went into second year, and then we ended up with eight in third year, and all eight of us. We had nine in third year, and one of my mates failed. Fuck. And uh, so there's eight of us, bro. There's eight. Are you still in contact with the eight that passed, or? So, um, I'm trying to think of the guys. In, of those eight, yeah, dude, I'll just get pull, pull, pull oh, Sorry, bro. No, pull it closer to you so you can lean back. Of the eight, you're blowing my fucking mind. Bro. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is fucking back in the day, man. Yeah, bro, that's, that's um, awesome, man. I think of the eight, I'm the only one that's still operational. Oh, so like, yeah, yeah. I know one of the guys. Were they around the same age? You, yeah, were yeah, they were so roughly. I was the youngest in the club. In fact, I was the youngest dude to ever qualify with that qualification, bro. I qualified. I was twenty, man, because I started seventeen, and I quali- And when I finished in the December of '96, I was twenty. I turned twenty-one the next year. I was one of the youngest dudes to qualify with that course. I was twenty, man. Fucking hell, yeah. Man. So you know, you talk about young. Like I went yeah. straight in. Like yeah, in Australia, you can't do that. You can't even do the program until you're like 25. This was a long time ago. When it was. Like rules and regulations were sort of like loose. Supply and demand, bro. Yeah. They needed yeah. people. But here's the thing. Yeah. And people ask me this often, you know, mm. like, I was young. Yeah. But I think I fell very luckily into the right spot. You reckon? Yeah, man. Because the job's not for everybody. Yeah. If I wasn't the right guy for the job, I'd be out of it a long time ago. Bro, your fucking work experience thing. <laughs> the first thing you see, you rock up, this guy's dead on his fucking porch. Dead, dead, man. That was me. I would have like, ah, mum, something's wrong. Help me, help me. <laughs> you know, most people, I think, would, like, turtle up and, you know, get into a defensive mode and, like, just fuck off or... Yeah, um, and, and, and th- that was part of the course, and that's why it was so good. It was very intense, yeah. and there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot, a lot done to weed that out because people, it's not for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not for everybody. But I mean, so that was like early in January, right? And then, and then I started the course. And bro, I shit you not, man. Like I, I was the only one in my class that didn't have a driver's license. I couldn't <laughs> drive. I was 17, bro. <laughs> so everyone's like, when are you getting your driver's license? I'm like, I'm booked on my birthday. My birthday, end of January, I've yeah. booked for my driver's license. Now, my dad knew dudes at the driving department, and he's like, I'll take you. Anyway, I got my license on my birthday, which yeah. was cool. But, like, I was the only one that crossed the my driver's license. So I wasn't allowed to drive the ambulance, like, for the first three weeks. Anyway, I get into the program, yeah, and it, it blew me away. Within about the first three months, I was like, fuck, this is cool, man. I'm in the spot. This is what I want to do. But I only knew that after st- – because – the course was not just a paramedic course where you learn about sick and injured people. It was a rescue program as well. So we did high angle rope rescue in our first year, mountain rescue, hanging off buildings. You know, we do all our mountain rescue up at Montesil and uh, we do stretcher hoisting. And it, man, we'd be out all day. Like people had like work behind their cubicles and shit. And we were like hanging off fucking buildings and stuff. It was awesome. Bro. Second year was heavy motor vehicle rescue. We did all the vehicle extrications. We did diving, steep uh, 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 
underwater rescue, we did scuba diving, we did trench rescue, and I was like, that was just the rescue component, which I loved. Yeah. But then the clinical, technical side of like really high intense clinical stuff was fucking awesome, man. And I realized, like, it took me about three months, and I was like, fuck, I actually, the one day it hit me, and I was like, shit, man, I'm lucky. I landed in this. I didn't even know what this was, man. Fuck. And that, my first year was tough, bro, because my, my, my parents, they split up again, and then my dad moved back to where he was born. Mm. About five hours north up in Zululand And um, my mom She was stupid man She went back to him You know after he hit her And he went back to her man I was like fuck Anyway so she left So I don't know where to live mm. So I ended up in Durban My brother was already a year out of school He was a year older than me And he was already a year out of school And he's he's a business dealer man He's a money man Like he knows how to make money Like yeah. he makes yeah. money out of anything bro He's like He's fucking the wolf of Wall Street like so he's like we'll we'll move in together mm. and uh, man he would sell shoes he'd like make food and sell shoes he'd, he'd go to like the fucking the taxi ranks and he was like selling secondhand clothing and he'd fucking he just made it happen you know yeah but fortunately my grandfather had all had left all the grandkids when they were born he started a little bank account for all the grandkids mm. and this is the only helping hand i ever had in my life and when I left school, my mom <clears> said, speak to your grandfather, he's got money for you. And it was 5,000 rand. So in today's today's terms, it's close to like 500 Oz dollars, right? Yeah. So he said, yeah, I've got this 5,000 rand. So I got into university, and I, and, I, and I got, when I got into university, they're like, there's a bill, you got to pay. So, okay, cool. And the bill came, 5,340 rand for the first year. So I phoned my grandfather, he gave me the 5,000. I don't know where I came up with the rest, bro. Yeah. But I paid my first year's fees for university, right? Yeah. My brother was wheeling and dealing and fucking doing his thing. And um, I then, I'd, I'd, I'd made it into the provincial under 20, the Natal under 20 rugby team. So you were playing rugby at the same time? Yeah, it was, man. Because in high school, when I was in high school, mm. I um, I played for the first team. I was, I was pretty good, but I went to like a, a like a middle and average school, like for sport. And um, you, the couple of the big private schools had all the best coaches and all the best training programs. So yeah. most of those dudes ended up being you know successful after school. So I went to the school trial, and the school trial was like uh, the Natal schools trials. You, you had to make the Natal schools team to have a shot at making the Springbok schools team, to then have a shot at becoming a professional and getting a contract when you leave school. Mm. And in that school trials team, I actually went twice because I, in my year 11, I was playing first division rugby in year 11. I was, I was pretty good at age 16. And um, so I went the first, in my, in my first year of, of first team and I didn't make it. And then I got selected to go for a second time. And this was my shot, bro. Yeah, three minutes in, bro, snapped my thumb in half, dislocated it, snapped it like three minutes in, man. Fuck, it was painful. So I never got a contract. Yeah, but when I left school, um, my old man had known a guy who was he worked at one of the rugby clubs, one of the first division rugby clubs in Durban. Yeah, and I remember he told me about this, and I left school, and I was like, I was keen to play rugby again. So I contacted him, and it was, it was for Crusaders Rugby Club in Durban North. And um, 
yeah, they were a good team, man. Some killers there, man. Like, really. John Plumtree, the current All Black coach, bro. I played with him there, bro. Fuck. He was there, man. Holy that's shit. A, that's a fucking cool story. He's a legend, man. So I ended yeah, up phoning yeah, and saying, hey, can I play? So I started playing. And, of course, I rocked up. And a lot of the boys came from the local school, Northwood mm -hmm. Boys. So they had, like, a pretty solid team. And I was kind of this outsider dude. And I arrived and they took one or two games, bro. And they're like, damn, we want this dude. So I started playing pretty good rugby. Yeah. I made it into the Natel team yeah. that I tried for the year before. But the thing is, I was in the Natel team with guys that had a contract. So those dudes, they're 19 and 18 years old and they're getting paid money and they train rugby twice a day, six days a week. Whereas I was studying at university mm. and I'd go to practice after university and I was still trying to make money to feed myself. I wasn't getting paid. But every game that I played for Natal, yeah. I got a little cash envelope. We got yeah. match fees, bro. Yeah. That's how I started to survive first year, bro. Like, oh. end of the game. You know, and we play under 20 rugby's, like, we'd play pre-games for the big games. You know, the Sharks are going to play, and we'd, we under 20s, we'd play. Yeah. But it was awesome because it was the first time I ever went on an aeroplane, bro. Because, of course, you play in Transvaal, so you fly to Transvaal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, flew on an aeroplane for the first time. And what I was, was like, it like, man? It was fucking crazy because I never paid for the ticket, bro. It was like, <laughs> fuck, that's why I never went on a plane as a kid because yeah, we couldn't afford a plane yeah, trip, bro. It. But that was like fucking cool, man. I got on this plane and we flew we flew up to, uh, where did we play? We played against, um, it wasn't Northern Free State, it was uh, Eastern Transvaal. Yeah, I remember mm. that. Olin Park, fuck, it was brutal, man. Big, big experience. But anyway... That and playing for Crusaders, I got a match fee after every game. Yeah. Bro, Tuesdays were the best. Because yeah. Like, Tuesday rugby practice at Crusaders, we'd mm. get our match fee for the weekend. Yeah. And I was on like, you know, I was back then it's like 250 Rand, which is like $25 today, but 250 yeah. Rand was, back then was good money, man. Yeah. Bro, in South Africa in the 90s, we had something called Mr. Delivery which is oh, what they're running yeah. fucking wild with now, this menu log and this oh, Uber yeah. Eats. Yeah. We had it back then, bro. Mr. Delivery, you could phone and they would order from Kentucky, from Nando's, from uh, Burger King top. Shit, back then? Yeah, man. So I'd, Tuesdays were the best, bro. I'd phone up and I'd have food delivered. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> so that was first year, man. That's how I survived. But the beauty was after first year, yeah, because my marks were good and I was performing, I got a bursary. Yeah, so yeah. they paid my second and my third year fees, and they gave me a salary, bro. Bursaries like the, what's the what's the equivalent to now? Like, oh, scholarship. Yeah, scholarship. Yeah, yeah, like a scholarship. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it's the same thing back in New Zealand. Like you get a bursary and then into university kind of thing. It's kind of like an apprenticeship in a yeah. way. Yeah. But what they say is, we're going to pay your fees for the next two years, mm. so long as you perform. We own you, and then at the end of your course, you need to pay back by working for the government for two years. Mm. I was like, cool, whatever. Yeah. They're going to give me a salary, bro. <laughs> man. Just, just pay me that fucking money, eh? Give me the money, man. I opened yeah. a bank account, bro. A bank account. I was like, fuck, this is cool. I'm getting paid. So you're so at this stage, right? Like rugby. Still playing. And, and studying to save lives like yeah. what you're doing now. Eh? And that was hard, bro, because, yeah. you know, we had to do shift work. So like... 
as a uni student, mm. I'd be studying like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, th- like Thursdays, and then I might have a Friday, and then I'd and then I'd have to work a Friday night shift yeah. in an emergency department or in theatre, or we'd do obstetrics, or we'd go to the, you know, the the pediatric hospital and do pediatrics. So it was intense, man. There was a lot of shift work, a lot of juggling, man. Yeah, um, but rugby was still like my passion. I still love rugby, and I was playing well, man. And I got to nineteen, you know, third year. Third year, second and third year, and oh man, I was on fire, man. I was playing with some big hitters, man. There were some really mm. good dudes in the team. I was very young, and I was playing with some some big dudes, man. Yeah, like I said, John Plumtree, man. Mm. John Plumtree was my hero when I was at school, man. Fuck. Like, I, I remember doing like a, a school project for for one of the subjects. I had to write yeah. like about a famous sportsman that I admired, and it was him, man. And it was him. And like two years later, I was playing with the guy, and I was like, man, John Plumtree, we had this, um, we had this big competition called the Toyota Club Champs. Yeah. And like it's all the big clubs in the whole of South Africa that compete. Yeah. Right. And I played in this. I played against some big dudes, man. Andre Fenn to the Springboks. Like I fuck it was incredible. And I was I was really humbled. Like and I was young man. I was nineteen. But I but I had some I had some talent. I had some speed. Yeah. And um but it kind of fell off the bus towards the end of that year because I um I had some bad injuries, man. Mm. Um snapped my hamstring really bad. Mm. Set me back, um, and I broke my ankle. Went over my ankle really bad at nineteen, bro. Yeah, so it kind of it helped me finish, bro, because I I was then coming into my third year, which was very um, intense, like, yeah. like clinically, and there's a lot of study, and it was pretty hectic, man. And um, so it allowed me to finish my third year, and then bro, I was like twenty years old. They gave me a set of keys. Gave me a drug bag and a response car, and I said, "Go do what we paid you to do. Go do what we trained you to do. Go." And then I went out into the real world, man. Now, the good thing about the training in South Africa as for a paramedic is that you get exposed to everything possible yeah. before you qualify. So, like, it's not like you learn on the job when you're done. Like, you learn on the job when you're studying. Like, you will see anything. And everything possible be with an instructor while you're learning. Yeah. So you know that this is what it says in the textbook. Yeah. And then you get in the car and you go out, and then there you see the dude's heads open, and you go, "Now this is what we showed you in the textbook, and now this is how you treat it." Like Holy everything from shit, obstetric man. emergencies, multiple pregnancies, breech presentations to ruptured uteruses to fucking diabetes and asthma and anaphylaxis and anything that you could possibly see, we saw it. Yeah. What an education, bro. Yeah. And I paid 5,000 Rand, bro. That's like $500 I paid for that whole course. Fuck. Which is nothing, man. So, holy shit. Once I was qualified, yeah, yeah I'd seen pretty much everything that I thought I could see. Um, but now I'm alone. Yeah. It's just me in a car on my own, responding out to these jobs. Bro. So, no offside on? No, no. We worked alone there, bro. All alone. In South Africa, bro. Yeah, man. So you'd respond to jobs and they'd send an ambulance and me. Mm. Often I'd get there first. Yeah. I'd be doing my thing and the ambulance would come. If the patient was fucked, I'd get in the ambulance with them and I'd go to a hospital and one of them would drive my car. But if the patient was okay, I'd give yeah. them to the ambulance and say, you guys go, I've got to go somewhere else. And I'd go somewhere else. The fuck? Yeah, man. Holy shit. It was you were, how old were you? Were you at 20, man. 20. 20. 20 years old, bro. My brain hadn't even developed yet, man. Yeah. What, what the fuck? Yeah, man. Um, what are most 20 year olds doing now playing Fortnite you know what I'm saying Bro, I still remember my first day 
my first day, I still remember mm. my very first day yeah. uh, when I was qualified. I'm still fucking like rattled by your first day on your work experience, man. Bro, my first day on the job as a fucking qualified parent was mental, bro. You're and you know what happened at the end of that day? It was the, it was the very moment, covered in blood, sweat. I was t- I was fucking hungover as fuck because I had a party <laughs> the night before because I'd qualified, bro. We oh, fucking yeah. bent it, bro. And the next day, my mate said, "Hey, there's a shift going. Do you want to fucking use your skills?" I'm like, "Sign me up." And the dude that was working got the day off, and I fucking worked for free, bro, because I just wanted to fucking use my shit. And that day wow. was insane, bro. I still remember the five calls that I went to. They were like I went to a few other jobs, but like the very first call, minor job, guy got stabbed a couple of times. Nothing major. I got there. He's got a hole in his chest. Send him off. And then I got sent out to this place out in Wartburg, which is east of where I was working, about forty minutes drive. Can I just ask you, man? Sorry to like. No, no, you go. What the fuck is going through your mind, right, when you rock up to a house, open a door, this guy has been stabbed a couple of times. First thing that comes to mind when you walk through the door, obviously it's the process that you've been taught. Bro, it's clinical. For me, it's clinical. Like, I know there's a hole in the dude and I know what could possibly be wrong mm. and I need to fix shit. Yeah. So, you know, and I've, I've examined my job and how I do my job and why I enjoy my job Yeah. over the last five years of my mental maturity. And I know why I enjoy the job as much as I do. Because mm. I like to fix shit. I want to, I want to, and most men are like that. You know, mm. we're different yeah. to women. We want to fix stuff. Yeah, What's yeah. wrong? What can I do to make it better? Yeah. But that is the ultimate job. Like my job, I feel there's different levels to that. The way, yeah, you're working on fucking human beings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Other guys like they like to tinker around in their fucking garage. <laughs> it's kind of the same, yeah, except same. you just yeah. yeah. But that's what I mean by levels, eh? Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Like there's, sure. there's the guy out there drinking beer all day. He's working on his car, ignoring ignoring his wife, right? Yeah. Whereas you're using this as a profession. You're yeah. Fixing fucking human beings, bro. It's satisfying, man. Yeah, yeah. There's not like I mean, it's but a level levels to that as well. It's man. problem solving. Yeah, in the real world, like, I think at the highest. Like, well, I I think yeah. that's a pretty fucking high level of problem solving, bro. It, it is, man. And look, the, the best thing about it is that there's an instant result a lot of the time. Mm. Now, I'll give you an example. Guy's been stabbed in the chest. He's got a collapsed lung, right? He's got a pneumothorax. Yeah, I can fix that like that. Take a scalpel, I cut a hole in his chest, and I stick my finger in his chest, and I let the air out. The guy goes, oh, I feel much better. Do you know how cool that is? <laughs> Bro, that's like satisfying. Like you've just take, you've just saved this dude from dude, suffocating. The look man. on your face is like fucking like lit up. It's like cool, a Christmas man. Tree, man. It is. It's oh, satisfying. Shit. Yeah. And, 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 and also, like, I mean, a lot of what we do is not, I mean, yeah, we do stuff that saves lives, and we like, you'll yeah. see a lot of things that, that, that you know that you're going to make an eff- a positive effect and they'll end up doing well, but you don't mm. see that immediately. But things like that and yeah. stopping like arteries from squirting out, and yeah. you know, but taking pain away, mm. man, you're not, you're not good at this to instantly take somebody's pain away. Like their legs off because they've just been run over by a train, right? Yeah. They've got no legs and they're fucking screaming in pain. You stick a needle in their arm and then you inject them with some stuff and the pain goes away and they're like, I don't, I, I'm not worried about the pain anymore. That's cool. You can alleviate suffering in an instant. That's cool. And I, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. what's gratifying, you know. Mm. So, I mean, that, that day, that first day, the next job I went to, 
will stick with me forever. And I remember most of the big jobs I go to, not because not because they haunt me, but because they, they're just memories, you know? Like, And the next job I went to flew out 40 minutes, flat out. I'm doing like 180 k's now down the freeway for 40 minutes to get to this, this remote location. And it was basically a, a rural doctor surgery, and there was a whole bunch of people in the waiting room uh, and waiting outside. End of the day came, it was like 3, 4 o'clock, and he's like, I'm, I'm closed, you need to come back tomorrow. And one of the one of the mothers, she was like mm. eighteen, bro. She's had this little three month old baby, and the baby had, was sick. And um, yeah, well, doctor's gone home, so she's like, cool. So she just waited, and then she realised the kid wasn't doing so well anymore. So she called the ambulance. Now the kid had had croup, Ringo mm, tracheal bronchitis. Cough. Yeah. Now yeah. croup, excessive. <clears throat> if it gets worse and worse and worse, kids get very tired and they struggle and they can't move air and they yeah. stop breathing. Bro, rolled up. There's this kid, like, not breathing, no pulse, man. And I worked on this child for about like, 40 minutes, man. Put a tube in this child, ventilated her, put a, a needle in the bone to give her fluid and drugs and shock and did all the things I needed to do. And then it's like, hey, cool, this child's dead now. There's nothing more I can do. And then I turn to this woman, man. She's 18, bro. It's her first child. She's young. And I'm like, how old is the child? Three months old. Wow. I'm 20, bro. Yeah, yeah, and oh. I turn to this eighteen-year-old girl, oh and I'm like, "God, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you, but your child's dead. There's nothing more I can do, and I need to go." What was like, her? Bro, she hit the roof, man. She fucking just started screaming. It was tough for her, but we were taught in in psychology. We studied psychology in our third year as well, and, like, and oh. part of that process, the grieving process, to start it as soon as possible, and that's why you got to use words like "dead." You don't say. He's passed. He's gone. He's you know he's passed yeah. away. Because then they're like, "What do you mean? Where's he gone?" Yeah, you gotta say. True. You gotta answer dead. that. Eh? Holy and they shit. go, "Heavy man, fucking hell, bro." Mm. That's changed over the years, there, right? I feel like you've got to do it the other way now. No, nah, like, not really. No, no, no. We still use those words, bro. We still say, "Look, there's nothing more we can do." He's dead. Everything we've done, he's dead. You, you've got to do that because mm. then they start bargaining. You know, they start yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, like I suppose dead is a definite. Yeah. Well, if you look at if you look at the, if you look at the uh, the the grieving process, mm. it's divided up into a couple of phases. But dabda, denial, yeah, anger, mm. bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm. So if you start and say he's dead, they can't deny it. Yeah, it's but if you say he's passed, they're like passed where? What yeah. do you mean? They're in denial, bro. Straight away, they're like, "What do you mean? Fuck. You got to start with it." They did anyway. So she was like, "Fucking hitting the roof," but I had to go because there was a fucking massive fucking riot that was happening north of Maritzburg. Bro, <clears throat> so I get in my car. I had myself a fast Camry, bro, and I fucking leg it up the road. Anyway, this crowd of people had caught it, had got hold of this this uh, this local dude who they suspected to be. A, a rapist in, in their village, like, and they just, they gave him street justice, bro. Shit. And they beat the shit out of this dude with a brick. They shot him in the head. They kicked the hell out of him. And anyway, I had to use, like, all my skills on this dude. Like, the stuff that I just studied for. Like, all yeah. the skills. Like, I had to put the dude to sleep. I had to put him into a coma, intubate him, put him on a ventilator, decompress his chest and put a needle, external jug and... Like all the stuff, like I used all my skills, man. And I was like, I still remember getting to the hospital, handing him over, and I was like covered in blood. And I was like, 
fuck, this is cool. Like, I was like, I'm in the job. This is the job I want to do. This is what I want to do. It was like mind-blowing, man. It was crazy. Uh, it was one hell of a day. Like, I, I hung over, tired. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, man, I accidentally found the right job, man. Fuck. It was crazy. Holy shit, man. That was day one, man. I mean, you know. <laughs> And then and then I moved around. I got I got posted to some other spots, and uh, rugby was kind of. I was trying to get back to rugby, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, because like at the same time, dude, you fucking played professional rugby as well, eh? I did, man. Because you know, at that time, I uh, I was semi pro playing for Crusaders. They were paying me a retainer, they were paying me some match fees, and they bought my boots and they paid my travel. And mm. I was playing for Natal, and um, <clears throat> just after I qualifying. And coming back after my ankle, like after my ankle took me about 18 months, bro, like yeah. really hurt me. Um, but then I came back and I, w I was playing for the Natal Wildebeest. So the Wildebeest was the, was kind of like the, the the one rung down from the Curry Cup at that time. Yeah. And the Super Rugby. And it was, mm. it was good, man. Fuck, so you were really close to Super Rugby back then, eh? Oh, I... Man, I was, I was one step away, but it's a big step away. Oh, like, because yeah. remember, at that stage I was twenty. Mm. I'd missed, if you could be fair, oh. I'd missed seven years. No, no, sorry, seventeen. I'd missed three and a half, four years of opportunity to play professionally. Where those guys that I left school at the same time, they were playing contracted professional rugby, right? Mm. So I was working. Yeah, shift work, bro. Oh. Eating crap. Yeah, yeah. Man, I was drinking like three liters of coke a day to work, bro. Like they used to sell those half liter yeah. cokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have like three, four of those, and I'd have I'd, I'd have terrible. I had a bad diet. It was bad, man. But I was just doing it to survive and keep alive and keep going, you know. But then I'm yeah, I made the wildebeest team. Yeah, and and then I was so I, I try to make a I try to make a move so <clears> that I could work play more rugby yeah so what I, I got offered an opportunity by by my boss to start a training school in uh, in the area where i was working to train other paramedics yeah and it meant i could work monday to friday how old were you at this stage? so i was 20 22 21 22 yeah so not not long after fucking yeah three years in yeah yeah but what it meant was, but I didn't want to move away from the clinical side because I still wanted to work. But yeah, they said, you run the training school like you like. We'll give you your own cars and then you can take the students out and teach them live. So mm. like that's that's the best way to go. You know, you've okay. got classroom and a response class. So I'd still be able to work and treat patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. So I took that opportunity. That was in 2000, right? And so that meant that I worked Monday to Friday <coughs> teaching. Mm. And like if it was a Tuesday, we could say, right, we're on the road today, guys, let's go. And I'd work on the road with the guys and teach them on patients. And I loved that. I enjoyed that. I love teaching. It's awesome. Yeah. Because you see one, you do one, you teach one, and then you remember yeah. it. Like it's mm. the best way. You see one, you do one, you teach one. Yeah. You show, you know what it's like. You, yeah. your, your, your ability to perform your, your movements and your powerlifting movements is only so much more advanced because you've taught so many people how mm. to do it. It's like it's ingrained. You man. know, something that I've read. I think I had this conversation with Joey. Is when you teach something, you've get, you've already you've you get to learn it twice. Eh? Cause you've exactly. got, you exactly you've learned it. Now you're teaching it. So yeah. you're learning it twice. And you've got to master it too before yeah. you teach somebody else. It's, it's the, the steps to mastery, yeah. which is what that is. Yeah. Absolutely. So mm. the teaching was good, man. I loved it. It was good. and yeah. um, But again, here's the thing. So the training school was in Maritzburg, which is 100 kilometers from Durban. Mm. 
So I would teach her the day. Yeah. Four o'clock, I'd be in my car, 140 k's an hour, flying to Durban to make rugby practice. I'd make rugby practice. I'd sleep at my girlfriend's house in Durban. Mm. I'd wake up at five the next morning and I'd drive 100 k's back to work. The fuck? I was just fucking doing that. It was killing me, man. But I was doing well. I was doing well. I was mm. doing well. Like I, I was in shape and I was, I was kind of getting to competing again. And I was like, fuck, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. So I'm, I'm playing for the Wildebeest. And uh, I'm one step below Curry Cup, which is good. Bro, I was in the classroom. I still remember I was teaching. Mm. My phone rang. And it was Rudolf Stroyli, ex-Springbok number six, won the World Cup 95, and ex-Springbok coach. He was in the same World Cup as John Alomu, eh? He was, bro. Fuck He was. Gee, I remember that they name. put him at number eight yeah. in the final. He was a beast, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember um, that's the World Cup where... We accused, well, New Zealand accused you guys of food poisoning us. I remember that, bro. Yeah, yeah. Bro, that was a brutal World Cup. It was good, eh? Did you food poison us, man? Bro, I wish I could (laughs) comment. I wish I could comment, man. Do you know what? That's the one thing that I've always known about all black rugby. Mm. They would never, ever say they were cheated out of a game. Yeah. They would take it on the chin. They'd mm. say, you know what? They did better than we do, even though the ref might have yeah. made the bad decisions. They've always been that way. So when they said there was food poisoning, I straight away thought, fuck, there's got to be some truth in that. Very there's got to be something in that, brother. Because like that that mindset has built in our culture. Mm. Yeah. Humble, and that's yeah. something that I've uh, like, I've always known, bro. Yeah, like if if you lose, accept it, man. Yeah. It's a lesson. It's you didn't a lesson. lose. Yeah. You won, cool, you won. If you lost, you didn't lose, you learned. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I I think it's amazing. But it was a it was yeah the World Cup was a was a big thing, you know. So Stroyli was he was in that mix, and Rudolf was old school. Rudolf, yeah. So I I had a reputation too because I was a number six man. I was one hundred and twenty. I was fast, and I just fucking loved to tackle, bro. That was the best part of the game for me. <laughs> I scored some good tries, yeah, but I wasn't a try scoring machine. That was my thing. Mm. I was a hitter, man, and I would fucking hit anybody. Um, what position were you? Lock? Number six. Oh, I number played six. second row mostly through school, and then when I started, when I was in under twenty, but because so you were a flanker. Yeah, I was a small lock, so I moved to flank, bro. Yeah, man, the locks are big, bro. We're talking two meters big. Yeah, most I'm of like, those dudes. holy fuck! Yeah, like yeah. you're a flanker, your size. So you must have been. Fucking quick, man. I was quick. That was my, it was my upside and my downside, I thought, because, bro, I was fast mm. and I was 120 and I would fucking tackle with no fear. And that's what ended up fucking hurting me in the end, I think. So you were, oh, fuck. I don't keep in touch with rugby. You were open side, eh? Nah, blind side. Blind side. Yeah. Blind side flank. Yeah. So for those that don't know. Jerry Collins, bro. Yeah, Jerry Collins. Jerry Collins. Um, some so of if you think about a scrum, I'm just like explaining yeah. to the people that are listening. Um, on the sides, eh? On sides the sides, the bro, yeah. You would be the first person to break off to catch the centre or... That would probably be the open side flanker, yeah. cause, but I'd be covering, I'd be sweeping yeah. around to catch the fucking centre coming through the middle, mm. you know? And, uh, yeah, it Fuck was the me. tackling was the game. but that, And I think that's what Rudolph liked about me because I was a fucking big hitter. And, yeah. and, and he... And he phoned, I still remember the phone call. He phoned me on my fucking Nokia 3310. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hey, hello? That was the phone that was blue, right? Was Bro, the fucking blue I had one? a blue one, man. Yeah, I had a, I had a blue, blue one, one too. It was Holla. fucking cool. Fuck you. Yeah, Love that phone, man. Played Fuck Snake yeah. on it. It was Bro, fucking cool. Like, oh, man. Anyway, uh, when me and my wife first met, like, um, she bought 
one of those for my birthday. Nice. Um, and we were living with other people at the time, and someone someone stole it, man, at a party. No. So we, yeah, man, and that like broke my fuck. I was so angry because that was like one of our first, like right. pre kids, man. And me yeah. and her were kids ourselves. That's so you know? cool, though. Yeah, fuck. but that phone, sorry, man. Nokia's got big memories, bro. We all grew up with Nokia, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell it. you a fucking story about Nokia. <laughs> Let's divert. Just remind me to come back to the story. Yeah, wait, wait, hold on. Before you start, um, do you. I'll are we reloading or I'll have man? another call oh, you, bro. Fuck yeah, man. Steinlog is away, bro. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, we're um Steinlog are pure. Steinlog are pure, man. Sponsor of the uh All Blacks, of course. Good, decent, cold mountain water from New Zealand, bro. Fuck yeah. But while you reload that, I'll tell you about my grandfather. Yeah. My grandfather was in the Air Force, right? And um he was in the Second World War, man. POW in Italy, fucking hates pizza. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, he's dead now, but he hated it. Like, don't ever make a man a pizza. He hated it. Wow. Anyway, he was a smart man. He became an electrical and a mechanical engineer. Like, he was a fucking genius, man. Cheers, brother. He was a genius. And um, so he worked, came out of the Air Force, became an electrical mechanical engineer. Cheers, sir. Thank you. Cheers to you. Dual engineer. Yeah. And when he came out, he went, he started working for a company called Barlow Engineering, which was like a big engineering firm. And um, anyway, does he got into some interesting dealings, bro? Like he yeah. ended up, he ended up. Like I remember, he had this black and white photo, like in his in his house, of him in the in the old president P. W. Buerta, like in the old days. Yeah, Holy he shit. was the minister of defense before he was the president. My grandfather was at like luncheons <clears throat> with a guy. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out my grandfather was manufacturing detonators for the South African government. What the like, fuck? Yeah, man. Like, fuck. My dad used to transport these explosives with police escorts and shit. It was, it was crazy. But he was a very smart man, and he, um, he actually, he he got involved into tech very early on, and he was testing and testing and working in the mobile phone industry, mm. right? And I remember we lived on a farm with him. My parents, I told you, they were fucking all over the shop and we ended up living with my grandfather for a while and on his property and he had this mobile phone bro it was bigger than your esky <laughs> and it had a fucking antenna and it plugged in and it charged like 12 hours but he would carry it on the farm and he would use it and test it long story short i'm gonna jump a lot of years ahead mm. we moved <clears> to taiwan the missus and i was doing paramedic work in taiwan there and one of the trips yeah. back to south africa i went to visit my grandfather for the for the last time i hadn't i never saw him after because he died but we were chatting and and i had a nokia yeah and um he also had one and we were chatting and like his brain he was like you know how incredible this is i'm like what do you mean grandpa he goes the computing power in this phone. You have no idea how much power is in this phone. Like, and I appreciated what he was saying because he yeah. was like, for him, the technology was amazing. And then he said to me, you know what? When I started testing those phones back in the early days, when we lived on the farm, I'm like, yeah, he goes, I was approached by a company to set up the cell phone network in South Africa. And I'm like, really? I'm like, who? And he said, I, d I didn't want to do it. I, didn't, I thought it was a dead industry and I wasn't interested. And I said, who? And he said, it was Nokia, bro. Fuck. He was Nokia asked him to set it up in South Africa, and he thought it wasn't going anywhere, bro. That big mistake. How, bro. how long ago? How long ago? Are we bro, talking? we talking like they would have asked them what? Oh, they would have asked them in the eighties and early eighties, nineties. They wanted to start it then back then. And I'm like, I'm like, Rams, fuck, you dropped the ball, man. <laughs> He's like, could, could you, bro? You know, here's the thing. Yeah. You yeah. want to know a crazy statistic? Yeah. In Africa, if you divide the amount of people versus how many mobile phones there are, yeah. Every person's got two mobile phones in Africa. Holy That's how many mobile phones are in Africa. 
Wow. Not even here, hey. Bro, it's crazy. Fuck. And he dropped the bull, man. Nokia asked him and he said, nah, I'm not interested. He oh. went into burglar alarms instead. Oh, <laughs> fuck. So he was an innovator, man. He was innovative, but he was a wealthy, clever man. He was clever, bro. He was he was uh, a smart man. R.I.P., man. R.I.P. Frank Devereux Hickman III. What a legend, bro. Lovely. Fuck. Lovely man. But back to Stroyley, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The back phone call, it yeah. rang. And I'm like, this is exactly what he said. I still remember. I answer the phone. I'm no like, hello? fucking way, man. And he goes... Is that the madman? And and I didn't know it was Troyley. And I'm like, uh, 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 this is Clinton. He goes, yes, I know. Is that is that the madman? I said, and I re- and then I recognised his voice. I said, yes, sir. And he said, I need you on the bench for the Sharks on the weekend. Are you scared? I said, no. He said, good. Be at practice on Tuesday. Okay, thanks. Don't that was the phone call, man. Rudolf Stroyley, what a fucking legend, bro. I think we've got to give people context on that phone call, right? This is pretty much like LeBron James. That's right? the call up. Yeah. So this yep. is like the LeBron James of rugby back in 1995. Yep. What was it? 95, right. Ringing like someone. Yeah, tapping saying, me on the shoulder. This yeah, is your go. This is your go, bro. This Make is your it. go. Yeah. So now that people got context. Bro, there was. I was fucking super excited. I was like, fuck what just happened. And all the students in my class, I had like 12 of them, they were looking at me and I'm like, fuck, that was Rudolf Stroyley. And none of them knew. They're like, what? They didn't play rugby. They're like, what? Holy shit. Man, I was blown. I walked out the classroom and shut the door <coughs> and I was like, Whew, I just got a caller. So the, the thing about it is that it was, again, so I was semi-pro then. Yeah. But the call-up was to be on the bench for the Sharks. Now, now that's like fucking huge, man. Like there's a fucking long list of dudes that want that job. Oh, right? man. Bro, there's a long in, list of dudes. Especially in 1995. So there was, so there, when I got that call, there was, a, there was about 2000. Mm. So there was post early start of the professional era, right? Yeah. So we're starting to go pro. Yeah. Man. And so I, I get in the mix, man. I'm on the bench. I'm a loose forward. Andre Fent is injured. They need a flank, right? So I'm mm-hmm. on the bench. And we were playing against the Pumas, and it was kind of like a, like a, I mean, they were, they were a smaller union, and we were much stronger than them. And <clears throat> Anyway, I was on the bench, and it was Kings Park, you know, 30, 40,000 people there. I was like, fuck, this is cool, man. I was on the bench. Anyway, I ran on with 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes maybe. I ran on, they subbed me on, and, and I played, and, and I, was, I was still in a bit of a buzz, man. Like, I was buzzing. Like, I was just, Unreal. And I was like, fuck, this is cool. Anyway, I was, Andre was still injured, so I was back for the next weekend and we had to travel to play in Kimberley against the Griquas. And um, this is where the story gets cool, bro. Yeah. I think you'll like this part. Like it's shit so far. Oh, no, bro, this fuck, is going to be cool because I go to Griquas, right? And yeah. it's a tight game. And I don't get I don't get subbed on because it, I think we ended up winning by one point. So the team was playing well, and Rudolph didn't want to fuck anything up, and we didn't want to lose. So no yeah. subs went on, and they just fucking hung in there, and we won the game. So I played those two games, and that was the end of the season, right? Mm. Now, because I played those two games, and I wasn't contracted. I got a big chunk of money for those two games, bro. I got ten five thousand dollars per game plus five thousand dollar win bonus. Yeah. So in Rand's term, essentially I got 10,000 Rand for each game. So 20,000 Rand. Right? So it was $2,000. for, but, but like 20,000 Rand back then was a big lot of money, right? Oh, fuck. You know what I did with that money, bro? Fucking paid for a trip to New Zealand, bro. Oh, fuck, Wait, bro. Hold on, man. Like, we've got to pull the handbrake. What made you want to use that money to go to New Zealand? 
Because why did you um, make I that? Got, I got offered to play rugby there, bro. So I went to New Zealand to check out and By meet. who? By who? <sighs> bro, Gordon Titchens. Fuck off, man. All Black Sevens coach Gordon Titchens, yeah. bro. The, the man, the myth, the legend, <clears throat> bro. Fucking hell, man. Like, so context for those that are that don't know what who he is, he, um, he's been the Sevens coach for. He is the god of Sevens rugby, yeah. bro. He is he's like, coached that. That New Zealand Sevens team to so many victories, eh? man. He's and what an amazing man! Yeah, ex loose forward, yeah, broken yeah. legs and broken knees, walks mm. like a cowboy. Couldn't catch a pig in a passage, bro. Like yeah. his legs are buckled. Like he's, but so much respect. So, I was playing in a Sevens tournament in Durban, and he was there with the NZ team. He saw me playing. I met him in the hotel, and he's like, "Are you interested in playing rugby in New Zealand?" I said, "Fuck yeah!" Because, bro, I've been a fan of New Zealand forever. Yeah. Like, I still remember, I was like 12, and this is the beauty of advertising. I saw this program on TV about Queenstown, New Zealand, and I was a kid, man. Yeah. And I fucking said to myself, I'm going to go there one day. Like, you got to appreciate how far New Zealand is from oh, South Africa. Yeah. Like, it's the other end of the world. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking go there one day, bro. Do you know how, like, how many South Africans make that, that hike, though? Oh, bro, it's big. It's so, it's so many, popular, man. bro. Like, I've, I've worked in... Heaps of different professions, right? Like back in New Zealand, and so many of them are South Africans. We're, so, we're similar, bro. Yeah, we got the same. Yeah. We like the same things. We got mm. the same. A lot of culture, but like New Zealand for me, bro. Both my kids have got all black names. You know that Carter yeah, and yeah. Cullen, bro. Yeah, like my, yeah. my kids are just. But that trip to me was like when I saw when I met Gordon, and he's like, "Do you want to play New Zealand, dude?" My heart fucking skipped a beat. I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" So I played those two games for the Sharks. I wasn't contracted, right? I was still semi-pro, and I was like, man, the only reason I got that gap is because Andre Fenter got injured. Andre Fenter was a beast. He was an ex-Springbok open side flanker, right? And he's he's coming back next week. And then there's three other loose forwards. So I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm like fourth in the queue, yeah? And I'm like, yeah. I'm 22, 23. I'm not getting any younger. I've got to make a move for myself. So the story takes a twist because I was involved with the girl – she was studying to be a chiropractor mm. and her dad lovely guy he was like when i told him that i've been offered to play rugby in new zealand he was stoked he wanted me to take his daughter and get out of south africa things are getting bad there like yeah. the violence and it was just getting so dangerous what year are we talking man? 2001 2001 2000 and 2001 so before yeah so 2000 mm. It was bad before then. It had yeah. been getting worse for yeah. years. I'd been a paramedic for a long time. I saw the worst, bro. It was bad. So he's like, I want you to go to New Zealand. So I took that fucking money, bro, that I'd made for those two games. Booked some tickets, bro. Paid some cash. Got my passport sorted. Fucking, and then I contacted Gordon. And uh, and then I had another mate of mine I played rugby with. He'd actually played in New Zealand. And he set me up with another ex-All Black, an ex-hooker, Tony Norton, who played in Canterbury. And he's like, you got to meet Tony and you got to go and catch up with him in Canterbury and he wants you to play down on the West Coast, maybe at Buller or down in Canterbury. I'm like, cool. Mm -hmm. So we fly to New Zealand, me and this girl. Bro, we spent three weeks here. It was fucking awesome, except for her. Like, <laughs> I wish I'd gone on my own, bro. Oh, it's yeah. fucking horrible. Wh where, um, whereabouts in New Zealand did you go? Bro, everywhere, man. Started in Auckland. Yeah. Now, one of my best mates that I... Out of those eight guys that qualified, yeah, one of them moved to NZ, right? Yeah, but he dropped the paramedic thing because he just fucking couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and he was a smart kid. Got into IT. He went to New Zealand. He lived in Auckland. Oh. So we started. We landed in Auckland. I 
I met my man, old Stevie D, Stephen Delport, and uh, hooked up with him and the family and chatted and spent some time in Auckland. And then uh, road trip down to Rotorua. Fucking love it, bro. Rotorua was awesome, mm. man. Went for a proper hungy. Yeah. Met some good Did people. You, um, go to the, the pools? Bro, the pools are awesome, bro. Yeah. People say it stinks and it's yeah. sulfured. Two days, you get over it. It's um, awesome, I, bro. I remember a story um, my wife told me. She, when, when she's comfortable with it, I'll get her on here and I'll talk oh, to her about it. Be she, cool. she, she was, um, I think she almost played professional touch rugby. Wow. For her country, bro. For wow. Cook Islands, right? That's cool. She won't admit it. She, you know, my wife, man. She's, she's um, humble too, bro. Yeah, yeah. She's like you. Yeah, she'll just like she'll just brush it off and stuff. But I remember her telling me about um, she had a she had a really hard sevens tournament, like a um, yeah. touch rugby sevens tournament, and um, they played in Rotorua, and like she she went with like all these scrapes and shit from like sliding on the yeah. grass, getting tries and shit like that. All these cuts and everything like that, heaps all over her body from a full day of tournament. Yeah, and um, went in those hot pools, the mineral pools, magic, bro. Yeah. Couple of hours came out all healed, magic, man. bro. It's beautiful. That place it's is so fucking good. amazing. Yeah. I love Rotorua. Yeah. And the thing about Rotorua, so when I was in Rotorua, that's where I met, um, I met Gordon. Well, Gordon Titchens was recruiting for the Bay of Plenty. Okay, mm. so I started down. That's where the Bay, of, and there was a the club they wanted me to play for was in Rotorua. Yeah. But I met him in Mount Manganui. Oh and, yeah. Um, and then he we went up to Taronga for lunch. He took me for lunch in his white. Ford Falcon, I still remember, man. Yeah. So he and another guy called Gordon Bray, they were the guys recruiting, and 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 I'm, I, I I'm gonna say I have regret because I didn't end up there, mm. and I, my regret is that I feel like I let them down because I told them I was really keen and I want to move, mm. and then I didn't end up because of I'll explain later. But essentially, I, I feel regret that I didn't go, and I didn't I didn't have the best opportunity because I think New Zealand rugby suited me. Yeah, the Jerry Collins type rugby. That's my game, bro. Sounds like, like your your style, definitely, bro. Yeah. And it would have suited. It would have suited me yeah. down to the ground. It would have been good. And I fucking love New Zealand rugby so much. Mm. Fucking listen to this. So, I do this fucking trip. We go to Mount Manganui. We have some lunch. We fucking chill out at the pools. Yeah. I go to Queenstown. I go to Christchurch. I take a train down to the city. We took a train all the way to Christchurch, and then we drove all the way back up. Come back to NZ, come back to South Africa after three weeks. And Stroyley hears that I've been fucking in New Zealand and they offered me a fucking contract. Yeah. So he calls me in and he says, We want to offer you a contract. So here I am. Yeah. I'm a kid who grew up who just wanted to play for Nintel my whole life as a rugby player. I wanted a Sharks contract. And they're like fucking hen's teeth. They're going to give me 150,000 rand a year. I can retire as from my paramedic stuff. I don't have to do that. I can just play rugby. And I'm like, fuck, this is fucking awesome. What do I do now? So sadly, I chose because my girlfriend didn't want to go anymore. She didn't want to move to New Zealand anymore. So I ended up staying. And signing with the Sharks. And that took me on a Curry Cup journey. Mm. But <clears throat> I never took the contract in NZ. Another one of my mates in Durban who didn't get a Sharks contract 
he took the Bay of Plenty contract. So he paid for the Bay of Plenty. Then he got transferred to Auckland. And he played next to Troy Flavel for the Auckland Blues. And then guess what? All Blacks. He fucking ran on for the All Blacks in fucking Carisbrook against Ireland, bro. Greg Rawlinson. He played one game for the All Blacks. Now, he took his chance and he went and that's awesome. Yeah. He didn't love rugby like I loved rugby. He didn't love the All Blacks like I did. Because I'll tell you what, if I ran on for the All Blacks, I would have fucking stayed there and played the rest of my life there. But he played one game. He was on the bench for another. And then he signed a big deal. And I think he went to Europe and made big money. And um, But yeah, I look back and I think, man, how funny is that? Like, <coughs> I, I didn't take it. Yeah. He did. He ended up where he did. And you know what? He was a beast. He was a good player. Yeah. Like, he was really good. He was a second row. He played lock, but he could also play in the back row. Yeah. Um, but I, I was always chosen ahead of him. And I I mean, Stroyley always said he didn't have heart. Like, he said to me, you, you got, you're not scared. I can tell. You've got a heart. Mm-hmm. And, like, he always said the same. That's why he chose me ahead of him. But um, I, I always look at that as, like, a missed opportunity. And I think... And imagine if I got to play for the All Blacks. How cool would that have been? Fuck, man. That would have been cool. That mm. would have been like a dream come true. But anyway, rugby kind of, from that stage, so I signed the Curry Cup deal, but there was a deal. And the deal was a fucking dodgy deal, bro. Yeah. Storley said, I'll sign you, but I need, I need to loan you to another union. Because what had happened is <clears throat> they wanted a hooker mm. from Northern Free State. And he was like a killer. Like they wanted this dude. And they offered him a contract and he signed it. But what he'd done, this dude had no brains, bro. Like he signed two contracts. He signed one <laughs> with Northern Freestat and one with Natal. And they were like, so he phoned the union. He's like, where's my hooker? And they're like, what do you mean? He signed with us. And he said, okay, you can fucking have him then. And they were like, no, 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 no. They didn't want to stunt the guy's growth. Like if yeah. you play for the Sharks, it's fucking huge. They said, I'll tell you what, we can give you him. We can give you him, but you need to loan us a loose forward for the season. Fuck, bro. I got shunted to Northern Free State. Now, Northern Free State is like us moving to, say, fucking Northern or maybe further out. Like, it's in the country. It's dry as fuck. It's a mining town. There's nothing there. It's a tough place. But I'll tell you what, bro. It was... It was humbling and it was a lesson. It was my first year of full professional rugby, mm. which meant training twice a day, living and eating and breathing rugby, playing a home game next weekend and away game, and traveling and playing professional rugby. It was fucking awesome. And I met one of my best mates there, who's still one of my best mates today. Both our sons are called Cullen. Yeah. yeah, Gordon Frasca, shout out my brother. He lives in South Africa still now. We played pro rugby together for that year, and that was, he made that year great, bro. Fuck, we partied, we played rugby. We used to fucking hit the gym hardcore together, bro. What a legend. So it was a year that I thought I was getting shortchanged, but it actually was good personal growth. Mm. Like just an experience. Um, but yeah, so I, but here's the catch. Right? Yeah. So I took the deal to stay because my girlfriend didn't want to move to NZ mm. and while I'm playing rugby away she's fucking shagging my mate son of a bitch son of a bitch but it works out because in the end your mate that you just nah one of my other mates oh. from Durban yeah yeah she was cheating on me with my mate and it was like damn I stayed for you and now you're fucking on the side there girl oh, what's up bitch. anyway 
it worked out well because I, I, f I had a fucking amazing season yeah. in this Curry Cup season. And it's the Northern Free State was a smaller union, like a little like a little union. It wasn't one of the big unions. Yeah, but yeah. what they'd done is they pulled in some heavy hitters because they wanted to compete. So they got a new coach. My mate Gordon was from the Lions and they brought a few other guys from the Western Province and, man, we had the best season. Seven games on the trot we won, their biggest fucking season they'd ever had. So it was it was it was quite it was cool to actually bring that home to that little town. Like they won, they were winning, and people were like fuck you winning, man. It was cool. Yeah. But I missed the ocean, man. It was far inland, and I was like fuck. I got I need the ocean. I need to be near the sea. And anyway, I got I got transferred. I got sold. My my, my agent sold me to fucking border uh, in East London for the border bulldogs. Mm -hmm. And so I moved down there, and I started playing there. Again, met some amazing dudes, some of my best friends to this day that I still keep in touch with. And when I was in East London, that's where I met my wife. I met her there. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it worked out. It worked out. So you where know? was like, um, like obviously the, the paramedic stuff was in the background while you were still playing professional rugby? Yeah, so when I was in Northern Free State, because I was still a registered practitioner, yeah. one of my other mates, he actually ran that local service. So I ended up, spending time and working with them and keeping current mm. and when i moved to east london and i was playing with border um there was a guy who was in my university who was two or three years ahead of me he actually worked for a private ambulance service in the in in east london and they had a helicopter and they had a couple of response cars and i just dropped in one day and said hey guys how you going and we had a chat and they said fuck are you keen to do some work we need some extra people i'm like yeah sure so First game at the Curry Cup and board, I broke my arm. First <sighs> tackle, bro. First fucking tackle. Bang! I snapped my right arm. And uh, so, of course, I couldn't play for four weeks. So I said, fucking cool. I can still work with a broken arm. So I, I did some work on the side of those dudes, fostered a good relationship, started working more for them. Um, and that essentially was my last professional season. Mm. And um, I still played, came back after my broken arm, had a few good games, a few good travels, but then then I realised, man, um, I'm, I've got to make a decision because... How, how old were you? I was probably 20, shit, 23, 24. Mm. And man, I was playing against dudes like, you know, loose forwards that had been playing professional rugby since they left school. You can't keep up with those dudes, no. man. You just, I just couldn't, man. Fuck. And like... The game had changed so much. Speed, fitness, and power, like, was the key. And if you didn't have that, you were behind, man. And mm. I was, so I was struggling. I was struggling. Like, I, I wasn't ever going to go further than that in Curry Cup because I just, I just didn't have what it took, you know. Yeah. So I realized the limitation. I had one last ditch. One last ditch to go back to New Zealand, and um, yeah, Murray Mix did. I was on the phone with him. He was recruiting for New Zealand again. And I've, I got on the horn to him and spoke to him. I sent him a videotape. How the fuck did he Bro, get in contact with you? I, I don't know. I don't know. He. But this was before his commentating um, career. It, yeah, just before. So 2002, yeah. 2001, 2002. Yeah. And I still remember, I fucking, because I, I, my cell phone didn't have international calling. So I had to go to a call box, oh. fucking shovel money into phone Holy New Zealand, bro. And I was shit. like, Murray, this is Clint. Mr. Mex dead. No, 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 call me Murray. I'm like, yes, sir. No, don't call me, sir. Just call me Murray. I'm like, yes, Mr. Mex dead. And he's like, no, 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 just call me Murray. I'm like, cool. And he's like, oh, you know, we weren't keen. And send me your videotapes. I sent him a tape from my curry cup. Anyway, 
bro, I had, yeah, we had a day off. Normally had a day off on a Wednesday. Mm. And um, I ended up, fuck, we were doing some, we had one day off and you could do anything you wanted, but you had to do something active. So I played squash. Yeah. Fuck, bro. <laughs> Fucking, oh, I heard something in my cough. I'm like, fuck, that's sore, bro. Anyway, I left it. Next day we had fitness uh, speed stairs on the stairs, sprinting on the stairs, ripped my gas drop, just fucking sheared the whole thing off, bro. Bad, bro. So I'm like, fuck. It took me, yeah, six weeks, bro, to recover from that. Six weeks to 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 fucking because I couldn't fucking do any. It was ripped, eh? Yeah. While I was rehabbing it, like the last week, I tore the left one. Oh, and I'm like, fuck. I was so frustrated. I was missing out all all the match fees. Yeah. Like six weeks of no games. Oh. I was like. I'm done. I can't. I can't do this anymore. Mm. So I thought, fuck it. I'm not going to sign another contract. I'm just going to play. I'm just going to do the paramedic work, right? So I'm still working on the helicopter there, seeing some fucking crazy shit. I'd met my missus Tess then, so we were living together, and I was just before we'd met. Actually, I'd actually decided to hang up the boots, and then I thought I got to go this paramedic route, but I need. I thought, fuck, I want to make some money. Yeah. So I made an application to fucking this international company and I fucking, I got a job in Saudi Arabia. Like I signed the deal and mm. then not long after that I, I met my missus. Yeah. And um, we moved in together because my contract had ended with rugby and therefore my accommodation, my rental property where I was staying for rugby had ended. And I'd met the missus. We got on straight away. She was fucking awesome. And we moved in together pretty early. But I said to her, look, I fucking signed a deal to go to Saudi Arabia. She's like, oh, fuck. But we got on so well. And she basically said, well, you do your thing and I'll, I'll wait for you, which was cool. And I signed a deal and it was a minimum of six months. Mm. Bro, went to Saudi Arabia. Fuck, that was a fucking education, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck, bro. That was Better, worse than like what you went through in Israel, South Africa? Worse in a different way. Yeah, it was brutal, man. Some of the things I saw there made me really question what? humanity, bro. Fuck. Like it was, it was fucking disturbing, man. You know, like just, just disturbing, man. Bro, how do you? Um, can I ask you a question? Man? Shoot, bro. Like how the fuck? You've probably seen humanity at, at its worst, right? I've seen some fucking some deep really shit, fuck shit. Like yeah. how do you? Um, how do you process that and then come back to normal society? Do you know what I mean? Like, man, I think like how do you deal with all of that yourself in your head, right? And then come back to being hey, like a normal conversation with someone that's complaining about their shitty day. You know what I get. I know what you mean. Look, I think to be fair, bro. Like, I th it's like a, it's the job's not for everybody. Yeah. Like, and I think I think. Part of the part of the managing it and dealing with it is the fact that I honestly think I'm fucking made for the job, man. Like I think I, th I think that I'm I was made to do that job. Mm. Like, and it's not. See, I don't I don't think of it. I don't I don't see stuff like that and think of it like, fuck, that's fucking hectic. How am I going to deal with it? I don't think of it like that. Yeah, I think of it like, fuck. I got shit to sort out. There's a solution required. Yeah, I got to put some shit into play, and I got to do some stuff, and I work at it. And then after the job, I might reflect and go, "Fuck, that was tough. It was pretty tough to get that tube in. Fuck, why was it tough to get the tube in? He's a big dude. Okay, what are we gonna do next time? Okay, I'm gonna try this, try something different. Like I'll troubleshoot the clinical process. Mm. 
what really only changed for me in the way I think about things is, is after having kids. Yeah. You know, like, man, I've seen kids that have been shot and burnt and murdered and like some horrible things. And I was bulletproof as a fucking 20 year old because I didn't have kids. Yeah. Now I've got three kids and I'll go to a job and I'll, you know, I treat a young 11 year old girl the other day and I'm like, she's not well. And I'm like, fuck, my daughter's 11. You know, like, that's where it hits home. But it just means that when I get home and I see my little girl and she fucking runs up and she hugs me like she always does. Yeah. That's therapy right there, bro. That's cool. Fuck. That's fucking cool. So, like, trying to process this stuff, I've never mm. actively gone, oh, this is bad for my brain. How am I going to deal with this? I've never, at the, at the, and I'm not, I'm not washing away and saying that it doesn't affect mm. you because, you know, it's got to affect you in some way. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. how do you decompress, man? Like, let's say you've gone a whole week of seeing dead bodies, stab people, sh people being shot, murdered, like the worst, right? Let's yeah. say you've had a week or a month from, from fucking hell. Come back home. How do you go from that to being fucking a normal person? Man, it it changed. So in the early days of my 20s, we used to party hard, bro. <laughs> like I'd work two days, two nights of mental mayhem, and yeah. then it would be four days of partying. Fucking everything, bro. Oh. Smoked up. We drink fucking hard. I wouldn't remember days, bro. Oh. And that might have been part of it. Yeah, it, it it just was a paramedic culture. Like you'd work fucking hard for four days, and then you'd go mental for four days, and you'd come back fucking hungover for your day one, and then you'd work hard for four days, and you'd do the same. So that was back then. Now it's different. Now I suppose, you know, I'd come home after, and and if something's like hectic, and I think it's like I need to decompress. I'll tell my I'll tell my wife. I said, "Fuck! I had this call today. Check this shit out. It was fucking mental and kind of offloaded that way." But the part that's really always helped me, always coming back into rugby was was exercise, man, mm. and like training hard, yeah. fucking trying to rip the chain off that rower, bro. Like yeah. that, like that's that's always helped me. Mm. Like and and I've only really appreciated it since starting CrossFit. Mm training with joey and just going through the process and then training with you and like i've it's like it's a serious reliever bro mm -hmm. like after four days of work yeah and and having and then just coming back and having like a decent workout and just burning off energy it's huge man yeah it's huge so that's pretty much you know i'd say exercise and 